We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Man City crown champions as Arsenal's title bid falls just the 37 points short with loss at Newcastle. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We gave it our all. I mean, you know, it is what it is. You can only uh, do what your resources allow. Manchester City can just spend and spend and spend, and they have, and they've won the title, and credit to them. But I think we at least have to uh, clap our our lads for the effort they made in keeping the the gap to just the 33 points. Um, on the bright side, it's only 13 points to fourth. So, you know, maybe we can make that up. In any event, we got a podcast to do about the game at Newcastle, which was, of course, a loss to one. Uh, a loss that I would say still feels better than the 4-4 draw. So that's that's a good thing. Uh, Clive is here. You can find him on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. The, uh, the podcasting team is taking this uh, about as seriously as the uh, Arsenal team took the match, so it'll just be the two of us. We can have a nice chat. I still think there's plenty to get stuck into. And look, I I think we have to make it very clear. I don't think you or I think that this match is important in isolation. We recognize that it comes at a time of the season when all the eggs are in the Europa League basket, when it was a, a much-changed side, uh, not a side that would have a lot of the fabled cohesion. So it's understandable to underperform. Uh even potentially, you could say, understandable to lose, although we'll come to that. But we still have a job to do, a podcast to do, to analyze the game, to see what went wrong, and talk to some extent about how annoyed we should be about it and what the significance is of our fifth uh, away loss in 2018, the only team in the entire English pyramid of football to have lost all five of its away games in 2018. So let's start right from the beginning with with how we set up. And you know, I, I understand that he has to rest some players, but I'm kind of curious what you think. Maybe not so much with what he did at the back, 
But what he did up front, uh, going with Aubameyang and Lacazette, whether you think that was the right move and, and especially uh, shunting Aubameyang out wide? Well, it wasn't the right move, right? So, um, And it's really frustrating. When the team came out, the first thing you do is say, okay, I hope he's going to play this formation. I hope he, I, I, I hoped he'd play like a diamond, really. I just thought it was an opportunity to see uh, maybe a Wobi behind a front two. He's been a, if if you're a Wobi, just imagine for a second, no Ozil, no Ramsey. Maybe I'm going to get a chance to play ten. What they do? Stick him out, and he's on. He's in the Theo role, right? So, and they, you know, they hide a kid and Joe Willock in the ten role that he's not really suited for. So literally, say so let's put him in a position where he can't damage us, but he can potentially thrive, which is in the ten. And then he's got Lacazette out wide on the left, some you know, running up and down like a like a, a young twenty one year old. Well, sure the best use of I his think, took up a lot sorry, of those, yeah, sorry, uh, I meant okay. Aubameyang on the left, right, yeah. my mm-hmm. mistake. And then uh, Lacazette down the centre. And we just didn't look quite balanced. And you sort of I looked at it earlier and I'm thinking, well, you know what? I like what you're doing giving these youngsters a go. And I heard something tonight that we've given more academy kids the most minutes in the Premier League this year. So that's the luxury that, of your Premier League campaign being dead by January, but sure, okay. You know yeah, I mean? absolutely. But it's something to hang your hat on a little bit, right? And we won't see the benefit of that in eighteen months' time. But um but I'm thinking if can you just imagine just just why not pick Reese Nelson for this game? Tuck him on the right hand side, put Iwobi in the centre, and give Willock the chance to play maybe in the home game against West Ham in the centre midfield in his position. I just felt we've not We've been challenged away from home, so why not give us a chance to challenge them in a more offensive way? And 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 he didn't. And I, and I was, I, I'm just totally perplexed at his thought process. He doesn't quite do the most obvious things. Yeah, it just <laughs> it just confuses me. No, I, well, let me ask you this. I mean, if you wanted to make an argument for. Uh, moving Aubameyang out wide. And I don't think there's a very good one. I don't think he's very good out there. And I think we can talk about how he's struggled out wide and, and how it's evidence that maybe we are in a bit of trouble with Lacazette and Aubameyang not potentially being suited for playing together. I mean, maybe in a, in a two up front, which the manager seems reluctant to do. But could you make an argument, Clive, that Lacazette is a really important player for us in this Atletico tie and that the manager's trying to give him center-forward minutes to, to really... Get him into shape for that tie. I mean, that would that would at least be philosophically understandable. Right? I mean, the idea of I, I'm going to play Lacazette up front because I need Lacazette to play up front against Atletico is that is that to some extent a, a defense? He could stand up, but let me give you something back. Right? Maybe we got two players in their first time in the league, uh, expensive signings. Why not play them close together so they can, you know, assimilate to the league together. Right, rather than have them isolated separately. We got the one bit of play which led to the goal. But I'm just wondering if they could play closer together and play as a front pair and develop a relationship, that could have real significant, you know, thoughts for next year. But he's just taken a player, you know, what Wenger used to do was take a player out of their a position where they wasn't so good and put him into a new position where they were fantastic and we'd all herald him as a, as a genius, right? And i, I got to read you a tweet I got today. Right? Okay. I've got to yeah. read it to you. And from a guy called Agan, 
but I, I, it was so perfectly. You know, you read something, it encapsulates your thoughts. Yeah, it just sums it up. Yeah, let's hear it. I'm, cur- I'm curious to hear the genius that this man or, or woman or, well, or, or yeah. animal or whatever imparted to you. Yeah. I, it's just, he just said, Fenger derives pleasure from succeeding the hard way. His natural inclination as a sophisticate is to ignore the easy solution and succeed in a way no one thinks is possible to prove everyone wrong. He prefers patience over urgency. Genius when it works, lunacy when it doesn't. And I thought, I've always felt that. I've always felt he ignores the obvious to show that he's cleverer than everybody else around him. And when it used to work, we all went, wow, you know, how did you see that? How did you see that Thierry Henry as a left winger could be a centre forward? Now we're taking a Thierry Henry-like centre-forward and sticking him on the left wing. I'm sorry, the same is not going to happen. At a stage in it's his not- career where you know you don't teach old dogs new tricks, you don't buy a 28-going-on-29-year-old European top-class striker with the eye towards turning him into a wide player. I mean, at that point, you're only paying that money to get him to score the goals from centre-forward. And You know how I would, yeah. I would re, uh, recast that tweet that you got, and I think it is very well said, is he's just a man that, for me used to have the right balance of ideals and pragmatism. And as he's gotten older, he has that balance is off now. And he is yeah. too tilted towards ideals and, and not tilted enough towards pragmatism. And so he, he sticks with his philosophy, uh, even in the face of evidence that, that maybe it's, it's not applicable or it's not working. Now, you know, if you when, go you and, say, when you yep. say he sticks with his philosophy, if I ask you now to sort of you know, explain what that is, I, I reckon if I ask 10 people to say 10 different things, what, what does it mean to you? Well, to me, I see, I think his philosophy is a couple things, right? I think his philosophy is trying to develop talented players instead of buying them where possible, although that has changed. And I think he has, I think since Ozil arrived and he has had to spend more money to bring in bigger stars and more polished talent, he's actually struggled the most. Um, that I don't know that that approach suits him as well, and that he is as capable of handling developed players as he is players that need to be developed. Um, but I think his philosophy ultimately is to trust a professional footballer to find the solutions on the pitch themselves, to give them the support and the encouragement that they need to express themselves, to identify what their footballing identity is, and then express themselves out on the pitch. And I know that's become kind of a cliche, and I'm not saying he does no coaching, but I think that his coaching is geared towards that, towards getting very talented footballers out on the pitch in a way that they feel calm and relaxed and capable of expressing themselves. But I think as more sophisticated coaches have come into the Premier League with more specific tactical concepts, more contemporary and uh, sophisticated tactical concepts that they drill into their players, the the better coached players are always going to outperform the, the more individualistic players. And I think it's worse than that when you consider that we no longer out-talent most teams. You know, there was a time when yeah. Arsenal had the most talent in the league and there weren't a lot of sophisticated coaches setting teams up to stifle that talent or to undermine that talent and we won hand handsomely and we we went undefeated for a season and all that but you saw arson get shown up in europe even with those invincibles and i do think that when he has come up i mean even rafa benitez when he was at liverpool when he's come up against coaches that focus on an individual match that are tactically more specific he has found it difficult to get past them and there's more coaching like that in the premier league now especially in the big six clubs and it's 
it's showing itself, and especially considering that the, the talent gap has, has changed. Nowhere is our deficiency more obvious than defensively. We have now conceded 45 oh goals in the Premier League. It is an absolute disaster. And I think looking at the first goal they score, you know, it's another near post for check. It's another near post run for Mustafi. I mean, how do you allocate the, I hate to say blame, but let's, let's say responsibility for that goal that we conceded. Uh, it's, it's just, um, when you look at your team, your team tells you, you know, when you watch a game live, you, you, you sense the vulnerabilities immediately. And when you see the ball going near Mustafi, what do you feel? Right. You Terrifying. feel a little bit nervous. <laughs> you feel a bit so nervous. You, uh, you, you often hear me say, your eyes don't lie. Your eyes don't lie. We're not stupid, right? You look at him moving across the grass, and you don't feel he's in control. It's as simple as that. You do not feel that he's dominant. You don't feel he's in control. So that's the first thing that he tells you, right? So then so then you go into duels and contests. We talk about Dwight Gale here. Dwight Gale. And then what happens in the game, they soon work out very quickly that our two defenders are both front foot defenders. So Holding's very, very much a player that wants to go and get something in front. A bit John Terry-like in the way he defends. Right? He wants to head block, kick, really, really tackle hard. And he wants to leave a bit on you. I, I quite like him, actually. At least he's developing his own identity. Right? And Mustafi is like a hand grenade. He likes to detonate things all around him. But mostly in front. What they both don't like doing is running back 15, 20 yards or running back close towards their goal. That's when they're not so good. In the sort of middle-ish third, if you know what I mean, they're quite strong. In the penalty box, I worry about them both. Movement can catch them on crosses. They're not good on the lateral ball. And Mustafi has shown that he can attack the straight ball and so does Rob Holding, but they can't attack. They're not so good over their shoulder. And when it's a cross, they don't check their shoulders. Their body shape's all wrong. And they can be beaten flat-footed, average, in the key part of the game. So the game is won in both boxes. And in our box, we are poor, shall we say, Elliot. (laughs) (laughs) Timid, poor, rash. I mean, the thing that drives me nuts about Mustafi is you always feel that he has an error in him, but he just... For a player that likes to be on the front foot, I think he has two, two ways he approaches a defensive situation. Either he dives in, which he either gets it or he doesn't, and that's an all or nothing approach, or he switches off. He's too passive because he doesn't trust himself to get close. I mean, his defensive instincts just seem wrong. So there was a there was a time in the match, I think it was the 77th minute, and it's on my Twitter timeline if you want to check it, where he's running with, it might have been Slimani, up the left wing. Slimani's, you know, not in a position to really hurt him, but he overruns it, hangs a leg, falls over, and now Slimani's completely unmarked. And yeah. there's no need for that defensive intervention. Like, I cannot explain why an experienced central defender in that situation feels that the right thing to do is just hang a leg in that, that has almost no chance of, of getting the ball. And so, you know, we see that from him time again. Now, I, I see him getting some blame for the second goal. Uh, he did do some world-class ball watching there. I think that one's probably got to be on Nacho more. I mean, how do you, how do you apportion responsibility for their second one? Well, we just again, we just we just getting attracted to the ball, and Monreal. And I did spot a couple of games ago that he's been a bit flat. And I was when we were calling for the back three. I I, I want to go back to that because I don't see him as a, 
as as fresh as he was earlier in the season. And I think he just needs a bit more of a static role, right? So he's also thirty two he, years old. He's playing on. Exactly. I mean, why is why is this a game with all the rotation? Why can't Kolasinac get in the get in this game? Uh, I don't know. What's happening he's, there? Uh, again, we're talking about you know when you want to freshen a team, you freshen in the areas of the of the biggest runners, right? And and that's normally your fullbacks or, or your wide forwards. They have the biggest spaces to cover, right? So, and so that's how you freshen a side up, right? You you can exit out of those areas and you get a freshness and progression, and you can create overloads. You can threaten teams. When a fullback is tired, what you, what you do is you stay in your hole. You, take, you stay in your space and you don't progress up the pitch. We don't get overloads. We don't press up the pitch because you don't feel that freshness in your legs to go and to double up, right? And when you do, you can't get back. So I don't get it. I don't get it. We got this player that's probably one of our, on about 150 grand a week, who's been, I think, not as but I think he's been quite good for us this year, especially in the early part of the season in Colosinic. And we're just not seeing him. And again, he questions back to the you know, the whole buying of him. He was obviously a top level wing back. We were playing three at the back. We have a couple of moments of doubt. We go to four at the back and we have a hundred and fifty grand a week player sitting on the bench getting fat. It doesn't make sense to me. I just don't get it. I don't I don't either. And I, I think you know, I love Nacho Monreal, but at 32, he should be managed, especially if he's going to be a big part of, of the Europa League campaign that's remaining. And if Kolasinac can't get in in this game, I don't know. Now, maybe the manager looked at it and he said, I can't change that much. I can't have Chambers holding Kolasinac and Mustafi. It's it's three out of four changes in the back four, and that's too much. But, you know, I mean, at that point, you're committed to it. You're playing Joe Willick at, at the 10. So one of the things I, I thought was problematic up front you know, people are going to look at this and say Lacazette had a stinker, and I think he did. And Aubameyang is certainly no winger. I mean, that did not work. But they did uh, combine for a nice goal. And I think the thing that made that goal a little different from what we saw the rest of the game. Now, admittedly, it's a hell of a long ball for Mustafi. It's the one thing we know Mustafi can do is break lines and, ma- and make some just gorgeous long passes. And he did find Aubameyang really well with his run. It was a beautiful first touch to bring it down. A nice touch across the box. And Lacazette gets there well to finish. In fact, we saw something very similar between Mustafi and Chambers later in the game that Chambers wasn't able to finish. But I think the reason that one worked, Clive, is actually it was the one time in the match where they were working almost like two strikers instead of a winger and a striker. Yeah. Because that yeah. outside-in run from Aubameyang actually comes from the left half space. He's not all the way out on the wing. I mean, did it... It's how, just obvious. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I, I mean, it just <laughs> seems they need to be closer together, right? I mean, they, they, they don't need to be that far apart. And it doesn't take much of a system tweak. Are you telling me Wobi wouldn't like to be behind two players rather than stuck out on the right wing doing a Theo Walcott impression? He'd love it. Right? Yeah. So, impression he'd, well, I just don't get it. It's, you're actually saying you're getting more from your two strikers. You're getting more from your young number 10 who's been brought up as a 10-stroke eight. And you can put Willock into a more defensive position, which he generally plays for the youth teams. Yeah, and you got El Nenny and um, Shaka to babysit him. You have a tight midfield three, and you just have three players a bit more offensive, and you get your fullbacks on the same line as your as your tip outside tips of your diamond, and you play from there. I mean, it it is not complicated, and we're back to the the thing about Wenger sort of not doing the obvious, and it's not that it's not that I'm wed to any particular system. But you just look at the players that we have and you say, okay, we don't really have 
Dasane, Salah um, <laughs> type wingers, right? We don't have those players. We have, you know, we have fullbacks who are running to the ground, but we have multiple centre midfielders, and we have we have three very good strikers. We have all so, the nines and tens. <laughs> yeah. We've got them all. <laughs> so the the system almost is picked by the players that you have, right? So, and there's just a couple of systems that we're screaming out for. We have fit centre halves, plenty of them. None of them look good in a two. They all look better in a three. Great. We have a we have a wing back that's ready and raring to go. I think Bellerin's a much better wing-back than a, than a right-back, but he can do both. We've got Colosini, who's also, I think, is a very good wing-back when he's fresh and ready. And he's just saying, away from home, we can see lots of goals. Why don't we just have a bit of security and, and play from there? Well, and, and to your see, point, Newcastle had scored 33 goals this season. That's this, about the same amount as Southampton, okay? Um, yeah. You know, roughly the same as Brighton. We did have a one-goal lead. You get a goal lead on the, you know, away to a team that's not a free-scoring team, and you should be able to defend that. And, you know, obviously we weren't. Now, look, to your point, though, about doing, the hard, doing it the hard way, here's the thing I can't understand, and maybe you can help me understand this. If I said to you, what's something you know to be true about Alex Awobi? You'd say, he's much better on the left than the right. He has not been yep. effective on the right. And if I said to you, what's something you know about Aubameyang? You'd say, he's not an effective wide player. So to me, yep. if I'm going with a Wobi and I want to try to get him on the left where he can thrive, I know I can play Lacazette, maybe not to his absolute best, but I can play him on that right forward slot. I played him there before, and he can he can do some work from that right forward supporting Aubameyang. I can play Aubameyang at striker, and I can play a Wobi on the left as the left forward. And now I at least have players in more natural positions where they feel comfortable. And the reason why I think that's so important is you've got a midfield of Willick, Elneny, and Shaka. Okay? There's not a lot of experience there together. You've got a guy in the number 10 who probably is too young to be expected to be prolific with any end product. Awobi's strength is not his key passes, his assists, his end product. Lacazette, you know, can do it, but I mean, he's more a striker. So, I would try to get these players into their more natural positions. And what I think is really problematic, the thing that bothered me, Clive, okay, let's say the reason he went the way he did is he really did want to give Lacazette a chance at striker just as sort of a a warm-up, so to speak, or a practice run for what he's going to be doing in the Europa League. Do it for half the game. And then when it's not working, or then when you fall behind, just say, all right, you know what, we got to switch this up. It will be move over to the left. Aubameyang go into the striker position. Lacazette support him just off his right shoulder. You know what I mean? That's a change you can make. But the changes he made were just sort of, let's get some guys on the pitch. I mean, it was was throw all the strikers on and chase the game. I'm not sure that I saw any serious tactical approach to managing our way to victory in this game. You're right, and even when you were trying to manipulate the players around, and you're just then, it's not ideal to have Lacazette on the right. <clears throat> it's just not ideal. It's a hell of a lot we better than a Wobi being over there, though. <laughs> yeah, it is, but you know, you generally know when he, when you watched him preseason and you watched all the YouTubes, you weren't thinking, "Let's get him on the, on the right wing," you know. So it's not it's not ideal. We, I know you know a lot about sort of European players, and I'm sure there are many right wingers flicking through your mind right now, and people who are listening to this right now who they prefer to be out there, which means we haven't correctly and I, I i sent a tweet out the other day right and i got i got a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of feedback shall we say <laughs> and i just, I, I Pro- just productive feedback i'm sure yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just gave a scenario right and the scenario was what if um griezmann went to barcelona and lacazette went to atletico madrid to replace him and we ended up getting 
Anthony Martial. Just said that, right? And and someone said and Dembele, right? But let's say Martial. <laughs> and the reason why I, the re- I just sent it out to see what people were th- were thinking. And the reason why I said that was not because I'm a fan of any particular player, but I I look at Martial and I think, okay, I know you can play left. You want to be there, so that's your role at inside left, well back type, left forward. That gets Aubameyang back into the into the centre forward position, and then we just literally have to buy somebody that wants to be on the right. We shouldn't be shifting 50 60 million pound forwards to wide areas because we haven't bought strategically enough and it just comes back to talent identification squad building to a strategy to a philosophy and that's why i asked you the question earlier what is the philosophy right now and if you ask me that question i remember what it used to be when he first came he he turned aged players into he added two three years in their careers and I actually felt he was very good with older players not younger players and then he flipped and went and then he went young and he found these jewels around Europe and managed to keep you know keep the Baileys from the door for five six years which I personally feel was a hugely frustrating but massively successful and enjoyable period because at least we all knew. What he what he was doing and why he was doing it, and now since 2014, that philosophy could have many different answers, and I'm just not clear. And I keep coming back to it's as though he's trying to reinvent himself in a really clever way to show that he's cleverer than everybody else. And I look around the sort of um, the world, I look around the coaching world, and I look around. And I generally don't think he realizes that everybody can see him yep. and can see what his weaknesses are, see what his teams look like. His teams are screaming vulnerability and they are saying right now, Arsenal, top six, are the most vulnerable club. Teams like Everton, Newcastle, Burnley, Leicester all want that spot in the top six. And we are sitting there jogging at the moment and I know you say Elliot sometimes you say you know this game doesn't mean anything and I I listen to you and I I know what you mean it doesn't in the cold light of day it doesn't mean anything but every time we do this uh, the bats become smaller we become more vulnerable as a club we are we are now developing an identity where we are very beatable and now I'm sure you got all the numbers about our way defeats etc etc but we're at a situation now we are the only club without an away point in the <laughs> calendar year. I mean, that makes you is that think. Good? Oh, that sounds bad. That doesn't. It's sound not good. very. It's, it's not, not very good, good mate. Okay. It's not very good. And so, so these games do matter to me because I do care about the size of the badge and what it really represents. Sure. And, um, and and I think I think I, I know what you mean. It's not. It's not popular you, by the way. Well, no, no, no. A lot I, of people well, feel I, the I same. I want to clarify something. But, it, they all matter. I, I think my point <clears> is that. You know, I, I'm okay with us not prioritizing this game and rotating, but the players that go in, that doesn't exonerate them from responsibility, and it doesn't exonerate yeah. the manager from, you know, setting the team up with a chance to win. So I, I don't want it to be taken as saying, you know, go out there and jog around and get humiliated. I certainly don't mean <laughs> that. And, you know, you yeah. should be able, with a 1-0 lead, to get something from a match against a, a, a lesser team, and we don't seem capable of doing that at all. Now... You know, I think one player who really struggled, and I'm going to cut him some slack. He's not a fullback, but I thought Callum Chambers had a mare. And yeah. 
you look at Hector Bellerin, and, and you have to have some appreciation for him. Here's a guy in Hector Bellerin who's not only been running to the ground. He averages about 54 passes a game, and he averages about 85% completion. The reason I think that is incredible is because of how isolated our fullbacks are when they get the ball in our defensive third. Everybody yeah. runs away from them. They're given no options. And you saw Callum Chambers struggle so much in that same situation. Played 56 passes against Newcastle, completed 71% of his passes. He could not kick the ball to an Arsenal player because the distances aren't right. There's no one coming over to help him. There's no one giving him that support. So it's either back to a center back, but when he started to get a little pressure, he gave the ball away over and over and over again. And I just wonder, Clive, I mean, what you make about what you make of how hard we make it for ourselves to build up play from the back especially, you know, the way we isolate our fullbacks like that? Well, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, fullback is, the, you know, I think, the, the most important position on the pitch. I, I generally do. I think you need, it's interesting that Man City basically changed, they took out four fullbacks in their squads last year and added three. I know they can afford it at, at 150 million, but they added three, they lost one to a cruciate, managed to find Fabian Delph, and their system works because that's where you get your, that's where you get your go forward from fullback areas, right? So Bayern Munich recognised this years ago, obviously Barcelona do, and it's a key position. And this is why I'm always a bit more forgiving of fullbacks. I'm a huge Bellerin fan. I think the fact we've overplayed him has stopped him developing. Because I'd like to see him work on his physicality a bit more. Should we try to reintegrate Debussy and, and make him a viable part of the squad this season? I mean, is that just fantasy land? Just so that we, we could have had a, a, a platoon there instead of one player playing every game? I think we just broke his heart, Debussy. And I think he, um, I just think he struggled with the physical intensity of the Premier League. I know he's finding his legs right now. And I, I, I saw something that he's a, the top defender, goal scorer since the start of the year. He won like, like the that. league on player of the month or something like that. I mean, yeah, exactly. Just, they haven't, they're, they're like, haven't lost since he got there. And, and he's scored 100 goals and allowed none or so. Some crazy statistics. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Callum Chambers, right? And then let's just talk about him for a second. And I know lots of people like him, a good lad. You know, you want to be your son-in-law, right? He's, 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 he's got it. You can't really dislike him. But then if I ask you to close your eyes now and think about his very best game and ask yourself, is that very best game good enough to find those 35 points we're talking about? Was it the game against Swansea where Montero roasted him? Because no, I don't, I don't, th- I don't think game. it would have been that one. Was it the and Liverpool game had... where he couldn't pass to an Arsenal player? I don't think it would be that <laughs> no. one. And, I, and, I, and he has had good games for us. But I'm asking you, that top game... Has he had a good game for us top? in a back four, though? I mean, this is the problem. We have such timid defenders who make so many individual errors, and we keep saying we need to play a back three, and I wonder if the reason we feel we need to play a back three is because outside of Koscielny, they're all weak. They're all too, too weak. weak. They're all too easily exposed. They can't run. They're not very good at jumping. They're not superb in duels. And when I say they can't run, they're not gonna they're not gonna win foot races over ten, fifteen yards. They're they're not super quick. They're not like um Van Dyke quick or Carl Walker quick. I mean, Bell- I mean Bellerin is, you know. Yeah, Bellerin is the one and um When his legs Montreal's, aren't heavy from being overplayed. 
exactly. I also Koscielny's got the speed that's required, and that's why he's our favourite defender. But we're looking at him deteriorate at, and at his age. So, I, again, I look at how we scout these defenders and look at what we do. Let me just give a quick example of what Tottenham do. Right? And I don't think they're that great defensively, but they don't play in the areas where they need to defend. They just boot it long and defend from the front. right? And if it comes to them at the back, the pass is always under pressure, so defenders look good. What they do, they pressurise the player in possession, and they have Fatongan that attacks him, and they have Davinson Sanchez that drops off. Davinson Sanchez is the runner, Fatongan's the kicker. Very simple. Not that complicated, is it? Very simple. One's front foot, one's back foot. Back to Arsenal at Newcastle. We have holding, <laughs> holding Chambers, Mustafi. All want to go into the front foot. They don't want to get into foot races in behind. And um, John Joe Shelby recognised that and dropped it on the head. Callum Chambers. Yeah, they just kept kicking it long, and I, I, you know, I think Rafa understood. You kick it long into the channels, and and you're going to win the race. And you go one on one. Yeah, you're going to win the race. The ball will hold up. You're going to win the race. And that's honestly, you can coach that on Sunday mornings. In fact, I do. Right, <laughs> so it's not difficult. And I, if I was playing, if I was playing against Arsenal, that's exactly what I would do. I would run their immobile defenders around. I would make them cover distances. I would make them tired, so their their use of the ball would be poor. And I'd make sure that when they played tired pass into midfield, I would try to nick it there. And if I couldn't nick it, I would drop in because, and I'd give them wide areas because when we, when they try to cross it, they won't cross it. They'll give us time to set. They won't cross it because they don't play the ball into the air very often, right? And Because uh, we don't make people defend on the first phase. We play, we play, we play to its perfection. And that's what I would do. Very easy. And every now and again, if you want to kick someone, go and kick someone in the middle of midfield. You might get Shaka set off. Well, spe- right? speak- but, yeah, uh, speaking of kicks, they kicked the crap out of us in that first half in particular. There were some yeah. brutal challenges, including one that went right down the leg of Lacazette, which would have been typical Arsene Wenger, you know, gamble with your Europa League striker and have him you know, lost for the season in the first 10 minutes of the game. But, I mean, do you think that influenced it, that physicality that maybe just had us taken that extra second to think about going into the challenges? Absolutely, right? So you think about it. You're, they know that we've got this competition isn't our primary competition. They need the points. Again, if you're Rafa, what are you going to say? Don't be afraid to rattle their cage. Let's see how much they want to play here today. They just got off a plane from Russia, half of them. They're tired. Let's get into them. And see how much they want it. Are they, and people, that that is just football. That's fundamental. That's, that's testing us, testing our nous, testing our metal. And we we got ahead in the game, and we were in control because they're not very good. Um, I thought their first goal was 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 decent actually. I don't think it, it wasn't as bad as the other one last week. You know, the Mustafi duplicate goal, but it was it was a good finish in off the post. You know, the sort of thing we need a break. We hit the post, come out, and we get a bit of a scare, and we and we control the game for the next fifteen minutes. But it sort of hit the post, went in, and suddenly we're going in at one one, and it's like okay, how much do we want it? We're in a game and we're feeling a bit leggy, right? So, um, so yeah, that's a bit unfortunate. But we just get tested at these times, and I'm afraid we keep failing the test away from home. Yeah, I, I, my only thing, and, you know, the more I look at this game and I, I try to understand what the manager was thinking, I think you can sort of vaguely see a few things that he might have been thinking and he might have been trying. And in his mind, for example, he partners uh, Shaka and El Nenny in central midfield, right? And he puts that's Willick cool. at the 10. Now, we can talk about Wilk. I think the game passed him by. I think he had a very similar game to Reese Nelson the other week, in fact, and just didn't come to grips with the game, couldn't really stamp his authority on it and, and, and really impose himself. But 
Maybe he played Shaq and El Nenny in central midfield because he's looking at the possibility of moving Ramsey further up against Atletico and using Shaq and El Nenny for a little more stability or security in central midfield. And if that's yep. his thinking, well, it didn't work because they didn't get their distances from their center backs, right? And and the long ball was on all the time. Now, Atletico may not want to play that way, and he may feel that that gives us a little more control in central midfield. Again, Lacazette playing center forward with Aubameyang out wide. Terrible decision for this match. Somewhat defensible if it's a precursor to what he's, you know, what he wants Lacazette yeah. to be able to do in the Europa League. And, but and also Welbeck playing left. Well, yes, absolutely. When Welbeck came on playing that way as well. and But you still have an obligation to try to win the match. And when you say, all right, after an hour, we've done our try things for the Europa League thing, you can start to switch it. You can move Elneny into Willick's position and take him off. You can slot, a, you know, Wobi over to the left, get Aubameyang center forward. I mean... You talk about Aubameyang being one of the best strikers in the world, in my opinion. Pure center forwards, anyway. And instead, yeah. you got him playing 50 passes out on the wing at 65% success. I mean, that kills yes. you. When, you. when you've got Chambers giving it away, you know, a third of the time, he passes it. And, and Aubameyang giving it away a third of the time, he passes it. And then you've got your defense out of position. That, that's just, that's a recipe for disaster. So I... I can understand if you want to try things for the Europa League. I mean, it's it's actually a very defensible idea. But then halfway through the game, at some point, the game you're playing has to become a primary concern, and I I don't think that happened. I mean, do you have any do you have any opinion on on Willick's game? I you know I I just thought in general it was sort of a, a nothing game from it. Passed him by. I mean, he's playing ten. He only had thirty five passes in the game in the sixty seven minutes yeah. he was on the pitch. Passed at eighty percent. No key passes. No dribbles. I mean, he didn't. He didn't really do a whole lot. It just was a nothing game yeah. for him. Yeah, we were just hiding him. We were just giving him some experience. And, um, he was 18. And he's obviously, right? Yes. I, I, I struggle with him. And I've got to be honest with you. And it's not because I don't rate him. I think he's, he looks quite good. Um, well, is but, he a you 10? Know, I, you, you would know better. Where does no, he he's play? Not, he's, he's a central midfielder. He's not midfielder. a 10. He's a central midfielder. He probably would play where Onenny would have played in, okay. in, 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 in his youth football. He's played there right? for us so, before, yeah. Yeah, and he's, he's a nice player. And he's somebody that I struggle with because there are other players like Ben Sheaf or Marcus McGrain who's now at Barcelona who I sort of recognize as more solid more powerful and this comes back to youth development again you know so sometimes you get the more powerful players at 18 they're the ones that you don't push forward because they maybe their development is done it's just biology right you look at this kid who grew quite late he was quite small he was 16 17 and he suddenly grew up to be nearly a six footer and he's looking quite graceful and you think well actually his ceiling could be quite high but it's obvious he's not ready body wise for the game we asked him to play that doesn't mean he won't be that player and this is the trick of youth development and and spotting how high someone's ceiling is but I, you know, to give him that chance because he's not as physically strong, because we have such a poor away record and we're not playing with confidence, I would have preferred to see a slightly more powerful Reese Nelson play in a wider area, solidify the centre with a Wobi, and give Willock a chance in a home game later in the season in an environment that he knows feels more comfortable and he could be more successful. And I feel. I feel the manager, he's given him his chance. He probably had no expectations on him. I don't think any fan is going to criticise him because we know what it's like when you're a young player making your you know, your real first start debut. And um, But I think, why not give him a chance to succeed, a better chance, you know, to really make a good impression. And I felt we missed that. He's one to watch. A lot of people say good things. I'm not there with it yet with him. But 
we've we put him ahead of many other people that also want that chance. There's a young kid coming in behind him called Josh De Silva, who's doing really good things. And Willock is ahead of him, even though Josh is a little bit older. He was ahead of McGuane, and Sheaf is out on Stevenage as we're trying to steal Ben Wilmot from Stevenage. And I rate Sheaf as well. So it's interesting how the club view it versus to maybe how some of the fans do, right? So that's one yeah. to watch. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, I don't know the youth players as well as, as a lot of other people do. I would also say I don't know the senior players as well as a lot of other people do. And I think, to be fair, I also don't know uh, the football as well as a lot of other people do. But, <laughs> yeah, it, I, I would just Stop say, it. Willick, um, the game kind of passed him by. And these are big steps up. And, you know, the problem for the manager, I think, I think he has to look at himself a little bit the way he's blooded some of the youngsters this season. I'm fine with what he did in the Europa League, but... Nelson was playing wing back. You know, these guys were coming in and playing in teams that were 11 changes, a lot of dysfunction, disorganization within the squads that they were coming into. You know, you look at Cesc Fabregas, and he's a generational talent. None of these guys are Cesc Fabregas. But Cesc Fabregas came in and played with the Invincibles. You know what I mean? Um, It's at least a platform to succeed. And I think the one thing the manager did really well when he blooded youngsters in the past is he brought them into teams that had a lot of quality and he's not necessarily doing that. He's, bring, he's bringing youngsters into teams that are really struggling, really on a low, uh, really under pressure. And I don't, I don't know that that's doing them any favors. And we're just trying to hide them in the game and get through without them. So that is really problematic. Now, I want to bring up something you mentioned uh, that came from the Arscast, actually. So I'm giving you credit yeah. for telling me about something that isn't your thing, just so that we're clear about that. <clears throat> Why don't you tell us the statistic, and then I'm going to give you kind of my thoughts on, on what it means, and then we can kind of talk about how we address it. Right. I think so. I think since October 2016, we have not won an away game without Alexis scoring since then. Wow. Right? Since October 2016, we have played 31 away games and won nine, right? So, and Alexis has scored in all of those nine games. Yeah. So, what what does that say to you? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what it says to me quickly, right? And and Tim will know what I'm going to say here. I would talk about Chiefs and Indians, right? We've had this thing now where we've got a couple of Chiefs, and I do feel that we've got some Indians that hide behind their skirts. And we're now seeing the, 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 the role players, to quote an American saying, the role players, we're seeing them out exposed, especially away from home. And there's not a lot there, right? And that's with extra signings. There's not a lot there. And it's quite interesting. You know, you know sometimes, Elliot, you know, I may criticise Aaron Ramsey on occasion, but... Um, I will say he is one of those players that said, you know what? I fancy taking on a bigger role. And I he wants like the responsibility in a big moment. He he wants yeah. the, the ball to come to him when it matters. Exactly. I'm going to take on a bigger role. Maybe I'd like him to be a bit more structured. But let's, let's talk about the the fact that he's playing for Arsenal and he wants to be better. He wants to do more. He wants to take responsibility. And I look around that pitch and I look around that team. I see a lot of people looking at their boots, not taking the responsibilities that they should do. And they are default programmed to give it to Alexis to hopefully or to get us out of jail. And I've not seen us change too much. I feel the club is smiling a bit more, but we need to think about the quality and the, the, the devil 
and the determination that you need to win a football match away from home. And I'm not seeing it. What does yeah. it say to you when you read that stuff? Well, a few things. I mean, I, I certainly think it talks ab- about leadership, but also just about um, having the right intensity for an away match. I think you can say whatever you want about Alexis, and he has a lot of negative qualities, but he is an intense competitor. And I, I think Arsenal is a very lackadaisical football club. And I think at home yeah. where it's comfortable and it's cozy and the teams sit off, you know, sit off us a little bit, it's, it's comfortable and we can play our football. But I think on the road where it's hostile and it's intense and you have to turn up your intensity and you can't just out-talent them, but you have to out-try them, I think Alexis is a guy who fights. He is a fighter, absolutely. And more than anything, you have to acknowledge the guy gets it wrong, but he is a fighter. And I, I worry that we lack the instigator, the devil player. I mean, Ozil, Ozil can pull the strings, certainly, but you look at the players we've had. Alexis, you give him the ball and he, he drives at a man, takes a man on, creates space. We've had players like Rosicki and Hleb and, you know, I'm just trying to sort of work through the the teams we've had. But we've had these devil players that instigate. And you look at the team we put out on Sunday, for example, and Lacazette can't instigate the play. Well, he's the striker. I mean, Aubameyang can't instigate play. That's not what he's there for. He wants to be on the end of play. Willick's not ready. Elneny and, and Shaka are really not carriers of the ball. They're not going to drive the team forward. Awobi's the player you'd say maybe can do it, that he can take the ball and carry it forward and drive the team forward, but I don't think mentally he is ready for that yet. I think he is still tentative. Uh, Certainly when he gets into the final third, that tentativeness really comes out. So we just don't have that player to instigate when we're away, when we're away from home and someone's got to pick the ball up and carry it into the final third and put the other team under pressure. And I don't know who that player is going to be for us right now. You know, maybe, I maybe it's Mkhitaryan. It I mean, maybe maybe that's the guy we're missing. Maybe it's Mkhitaryan. It used to be Jack. It also used to be Cleb, Riziki, Van Persie, Fabregas. Let's go through the names, right? We have players, even Arshavin, the player that get it. And would well, go. you go way back and it's Vieira, you know, someone who could carry the yeah. ball powerfully through midfield or it's Pires who could pick up the ball and run at defenders. I mean, it just there's no it's one just, to instigate that that attack and put the, the defense on skates, put them on their heels, backpedaling and, and create those openings. And I look, Clive, I'll stop us just for a second here before we get way too up our own asses, which is kind of like where I live. If you, if you want to send me a letter, just say Elliot's ass and the letter will find me. But I mean, we, we are bad because we've conceded 45 goals. Okay. I, I think what, whatever we say about what's missing in our attack and how we build up has to be qualified by the fact that we, we have we have allowed forty five goals, but but if you look around the league, you know City get the ball to, to De Bruyne and he drives them forward, and you know I mean Liverpool do it a little differently. They they start their attacks more with transition, right, winning the ball and getting it up to Salah and Sane and letting them drive at players. You know Spurs they they do it with their press and transition as well. I mean Manchester United want Pogba to drive the ball forward. They got Alexis to have another player to car- pick that ball up and drive at defenses. And you look at those teams, and, and that's really how they do it. And I, I we're just a passing team. Yeah, and but I we're think I think it's outdated. Team. I real I'm starting to think that this whole idea of pretty triangles, and you know, you can say, well, City have seventy percent possession, like we do, but City have a a very um, direct. direct exactly. They are much much more direct, and we are much more of a patient lateral possession passing team. And I don't know in in an era of of even bad teams that can press you and take the ball off you in an era where defenses are much more organized and, and there's better athletes on the pitch even way down the, the ladder. I don't know that you can just be a patient 
possession-oriented team and, and be relevant in the league anymore. I, I don't know yeah. that that can happen. It's quite interesting because what we are playing, we actually are playing European Cup football all the time. It's a slower game. People drop in. They don't always press in Europe. They give you time and we build. And, and our football is suited to maybe another league at the moment. right? So um, it's, it's more of a Spanish style. And that that's the truth. And in Spain, they build up and they and they they accelerate when it gets to the box, right? and they tap their passes. And that's how that's how we play. I used to travel a lot away from home, and when I used to go away from home, we used to get in fights. You know, not just the fans, but the players, right? We used to get in fights. We'd have sendings off, and you would go anywhere to watch those teams because you knew that there was something. They were not going to come off that pitch without 100% effort. Right? And this is not a middle-aged man looking backwards. But I look at our team now. I hope we have some flow. That's what I think when, we, when I go to watch them away. I hope we flow. I hope the pass is quick. I hope it's in the right areas. I hope that it's more direct. I don't expect it. I don't expect it. And I certainly don't expect us to win the fight. And so what teams do is they make it a fight to see what we've got, right? And um, and he says again, we're back to Wenger's identity and philosophy. It's changed. I'm okay with that, but don't throw it all away because all the things that I've ever learned about football came from him. Yeah, you know, from watching his teams, watching him develop players, watching him have four unbelievable one-on-one defenders in the invincible era while recognizing that maybe his midfield was reliant on one man to stop everything and the rest is all driving forward but i'll tell you what i will have i'll have four of the quickest most dominant most dual specialists i could possibly have in my back line and then let the rest of the team go and it's just like what a genius thing is it is it too is it too uh, is it too obvious to do something quite similar again? Because other teams are doing something quite similar, playing quite direct, with fast forwards, playing through, playing quickly in areas where you know we didn't always build up through the through the thirds. We played the ball longer. We ran in directly. We had direct runner in Lundberg from the right, and we ran in. All these things we're watching other teams do. We he did it. He's done it before. And I look at this team and I close my eyes and I, and I just can't see a consistent way of playing. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's a concern, right? Well, and, and again, before we draw too many conclusions, a lot of what we saw on Sunday was based on a very changed team with players who, you know, in theory aren't going to play in those positions for us a lot or play at all for us. You know, but I look at a team like Liverpool are just having a fantastic season in many ways and they have a midfield of Milner and Henderson. You know, I mean... Yeah. Is Shaq and Ramsey job. worse? I don't think so. <clears throat> you know, but what they do have is they, they saw that Oxley Chamberlain, for all his flaws, will get the ball and drive at defenses and push them back and create space yeah. and give it to the, the super talented players in, in Mane and, uh, pardon me, in, uh, Sa- yeah, Mane, Salah, and, Salah. and Firmino. And, I, you know, I just, I think that we lack that dynamism. And, and Alexis, for all of his flaws, gave us that dynamism. And you really need it on the road where intensity uh, is so important where you won't be able to play your way through all the time, but you can certainly get into one-on-one situations and, and create advantages there. And we did not create any advantages in our one-on-one situations against Newcastle. I think that is really telling. You know, we had the long, long ball to Aubameyang running in behind in, in really the only moment where we caught him in kind of a center forward or striker type position, and he gets it across to Lacazette and they score. But can you really think of a situation, Clive, against Newcastle where 
a player in a one-on-one situation beat his man or or created space for his teammates. And look, we did have a decent XG game in the first half. Um, yeah. You know, I think we created like 0.2 XG in the second half, but we created almost two or more in the first half. So we did create opportunities, but I just felt that there was a lack of that dynamic play. Real quick while we're talking about it, do, do you think that the handball should have been a penalty? I mean, that could have obviously turned the game for us. Do you think it should have been a penalty? You know what? Would they say with those things, he's got to be deliberate handball, but that ball was going into the top corner. So he's deflected it over the bar. Well, that, his and hand's think, not in a natural position. I mean, isn't that supposed to be part of the assessment? Yeah, I suppose the referee couldn't see as well as we could on the camera. But that shot was, was goal-bound, right? It was on target, and it was moved off target by a hand up in the air. And I think you, if the handball should be deliberate, I don't think it's deliberate, but it obstructed a goal. And I think it's very 50-50. And if it... If it had been given, I think it would have been seen as controversial. You know, um, I, don't, I don't see how the referee could give it. But the camera angle that we had, I think, was um, maybe made us all think as Arsenal fans that that should have been given. Yeah, I think I. I mean, I. I think it should have been given. I think he missed it, and that is what it is. I actually think worse than not giving that call though is not carding Newcastle for some of the tackles they made in the first half because I think they would have had to be a lot more careful the rest of the match. I think it's possible they might not have finished with 11 men. I mean, the one on Lacazette is orange, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And, and that certainly changes the game if you start picking up some early some early fouls. So, I mean, just real quick on the positive, I mean, I thought there were a lot of players that struggled. Was there anyone out there that you were encouraged by? I mean, were there any performances that, that you – looked at and said, you know, I, okay, well, at least he had a good game? I'm, I'm watching Holding, and I'm thinking, I, 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 there's something in that boy. There's a, he's, he's got a bit of fight about him. He's I very think, clean um, in possession, too. I mean, 89% yeah. passing. He played 94 passes. I mean, so, you know, I've always thought that, that uh, 96 passes, pardon me, I've always thought that, that he was poor on the ball, but he wasn't on Sunday. No, he gets a he gets a lot of time on his left foot, and he's a right-footed player. And you know, I often think sometimes that the better player is the one that has to move to his weaker side. If you see what I mean, and they always keep Chambers on his right foot, and um, they don't want to put him on the left side because I think that would that would affect his game too much. You know, I'd like to see Holding play right centre half and see how he would do. I think he'd be better. I think he could dribble. I think there's a player in there. We've got to make a choice, right? We've got we've got five central defenders and we've got one about to retire one that's probably got one more year in year in him maximum but he should be rotated in and we have Mustafi Chambers and holding and Mustafi you know I wouldn't go to Sainsbury's if I was him he might get stabbed so I'd just stay in the stay in the house right so um <laughs> well, and, let me ask you and, is, is there any redemption for him I mean is there any coming back for for Mustafi is he a write-off for you I never. He's a write off for me. <laughs> I never thought he was a player that we needed. You know, I just felt the moment you're looking at your team, you're looking at who's first out the exit door, it's Mertesacker. So, what you want is a big, dominant defender that can maybe run a bit faster than Mertesacker. So, you upgrade him. I don't see Mustafi as a Mertesacker upgrade when Mertesacker could play. Mertesacker was more dominant. He can pass just as well. Okay, he wasn't quick, but at least we knew what he was, and he knew what he was. So he put himself into areas where, you know, he didn't get too exposed too often. And when he did, 
because Sheldon knew exactly what he had to do. So he had a partnership. I'm not saying it's a league-winning partnership, but it's better than what we saw on Sunday, right? So Mustafi, for me, one position, Miller back three, that's the best we can get from you. The club won't play a back three. So now you're a dead, you're a body that I'm not sure what to do with. At this moment in time, we bought him for 35 million. I reckon we might might move decimal point over a little bit. We might get 3.5 million. Right. <laughs> so, it, so, so, so that's a, that's another issue. It's an issue for us. You're and, saying we're pot committed. We're, he's dead money, and we got to make the best. I mean, yeah. to me, a good back four, the center back pairing, you have to have a sentry and a terrier. What I mean by that is you have to have a guy who's the sentry. Right. He's the pair sacker. He sits. He he surveys. He organizes. He's aware. He's he's relaxed and and he is calm in the moment. And then you have the terrier, and that was Koscielny, who goes in and kills everybody. He goes and takes right. the man in the ball, and he goes and attacks the near post, and he goes and gets you know into the tackle when he needs to. And the problem for me is now Koscielny's supposed to be the sentry, which is, isn't really his strong suit, but he does it. And Mustafi is like the worst kind of a terrier. I mean, his first instinct is to just hang a leg and hope for the best. I, I don't. I don't see the partnership making sense. I don't see the player being a fit. He's good on the ball if he's in the center of, of a back three. But if we assume that a back three is not what the manager wants to do, I don't see any redemption for that player. I really, really don't. And, I mean, the manager has to be looking at him now wondering if he can use him in this Europa League time. I mean, is there is the only thing that's going to keep him playing essentially the fact that there's no one else who could do it? I mean, if you're Arsene, would you consider... Monreal in Koscielny or holding in Koscielny and, no. and bringing in Kolasinac or does he just have to hope for, for one of those rare 9 out of 10s from Mustafi? I think holding is getting close to in my opinion he's getting close but I don't think the manager's going to do it he won't he won't crush Mustafi's confidence the number one skill for a defender for me is that you must discourage the opposition from playing the ball into your area the moment you encourage the opposition to play the ball towards you you have failed Right, so I, I I heard a story about Arsene Wenger once when he when he put Carlo Torre and Sol Campbell together, and he asked the opposition, he's in a friendly, and he asked the opposition manager to tell him how it felt when they were near the ball, and the opposition manager after the game told him, I couldn't believe their power, their speed, and their aggression. My forwards really struggled with them. I think I was I thought it was a genius moment, right? That it, sometimes you need to always go back to how you feel. How you feel, and sometimes when you're so involved, you can't always feel what other, the opposition feels. I think the opposition feels that we're vulnerable, and that tells me the player needs to step out for a while. To be fair to Mustafi, he never gets the rest that Ramsey and Koscielny and Ozil get. He doesn't get that rest. He's the one that plays all the yeah, time. Yeah, that's fair. And he may be feeling a little bit like, you know what, I'm a senior player. I need some time off too. You know, I flew to Russia, played the whole game. Yeah, no, that's a good a point. A pressurized second. And I heard also he's, had a, he's recently had a child. So his life's got upside down. And I look at these things. Do you think there's I anything think, you know to what? the fact he didn't want to stay either? I mean, that he, that, that he wanted out of England? He wanted to go to but, Italy? But let's go back. Let's wind back. We've seen this before, that he had a bit of time out, got an injury, and came back and hit top form again. Right? So we have seen these massive dips. It just We just get... Eight out of tens with him, or three out of tens, and that's the issue. You can't build a team when your centre back could give you a couple of three out of tens, right? Yeah, so and, and uh, I, you know what bothers me? I mean, look, there are some players that are just limited physically, and they do the best with their limitations. I mean, Francis Coughlin's an example of a player who he did everything he could with what he had in him. You, you know what I mean? Like yeah. he's he's 
not a technically gifted footballer, but he did what he could. And I just think Mustafi gives so much less than he could if you really wanted yeah. to be focused. I think so much of his pro- so many of his problems are mental. The way yep. he chooses to take on certain situations is either lazy or fearful. It's it's mental because I don't think he's incapable of of defending better technically, physically. I just think he his mindset is all wrong, and that that frustrates yeah. me. Yeah, my, my own son, right? He was he was quite a small player. He's recently grown, and he had to be perfect mentally and positionally just to survive on a football pitch. He had to have his absolute top aggressive game just to get a six and a half out of ten. Right? So and I feel what I feel that about Mustafi sometimes. He needs to be perfect shape to get that eight out of ten. Because I personally feel that he's not physically the best centre half we could have for the English league. Right. So and I and, I, and we we bought him and this is what we've got. I think it was a buy that we didn't need. He doesn't mean he's a bad player. We didn't need him. In another setup where they've got tall fullbacks and three other tall centre halves, and maybe they sit in a bit more, and he can be a little bit more looser in his movements, he would do really well in that team. You know, so it's all about the structure which suits him. And you know, you mentioned I know you mentioned Cochrane briefly there, but I. I watched that game yesterday, and I was actually thinking about <laughs> I'm thinking about people like Tim, who who made that journey, right? Mm. And and I'm looking at the players jogging around on their recovery runs, and I'm wondering. I've been to Newcastle; it's a very high tier up there, and I'm wondering. I wonder what Tim's thinking right now, and watching Callum Chambers jog back like he's on the beach in Jamaica, right? So um, I'm wondering what he's thinking. I wonder what those fans are thinking. And I bet they were going absolutely mad, you know. And I think, you know, we love to analyse Elliot, and we and we do. I think we do quite well, actually. <laughs> we love to analyse, but <laughs> if you do say so yourself. But, <laughs> but I will say, sometimes just put yourself in the seat of those guys who made that journey, which is about four hundred miles from London, right? Three fifty miles, and to watch that, I think, you know what, Arsene, you've got to make sure you look after the club's badge. You really do. And, I think he's. I think he's failing. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, apart from the fact that's super depressing, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, so before we sort of start to wrap up, a couple of things. I mean, first of all, we've got West Ham next weekend. It's our first time that we have a week off. I don't believe we have a midweek game this week, and you know, it's a nice chance for some players to get some rest. Yeah. Does the manager have to go back to a closer to full strength side against West Ham, knowing he's got? that first leg of the Europa League coming up to try to put some, you know, quote unquote confidence. I mean, I hate these soft factors, but confidence back into the team, or is it a case where he's just going to do the same kind of thing, heavy rotation, let the second team do the best they can. I mean, ultimately we're not competing for a hell of a lot anymore in the premier league and just hope that when he goes back to the strongest side against Atleti, it doesn't matter what's happened in these other games. I will say of all the sort of away games we have lost this year, this one is the most understandable. Because um, after the Russia trip, you know, literally been three days, and it's a it's a decent four hour flight back from there, so it's the most understandable. And if he had to take make six changes, I sort of get it, given what's coming up with Man United, two Atletico Madrid games, and then Burnley thereafter. So I'm hopeful that those four games we might see the benefit in those four games what we gave up on on Sunday. I still feel we could have been better in our shape, been a bit more efficient with some of our player usage, but I get it. You know, we've got four big games coming up. 
that basically the manager cannot afford to be humiliated in. Right? So those players have to turn out. A lot of those big players that, who are not normally three times a week players are going to have to play three times a week. And they won't be able to do that if they if they played this game as well. So I'll give them a bit of credit. I think he will rotate again slightly. Home games will be quite strong. Um, so I expect us to beat West Ham. But obviously the real game is um, Atletico Madrid, right? And so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I hope he rotates. I mean, I really hope against West Ham it's, uh, hell, Reese Nelson, Aubameyang, obviously, Willick, Elneny, fine, unless he's going to play. Don't play Shaka. Go Chambers and Holding, you know, with, you know, I, I don't even know. Pick a pick someone out of the stands to play right back. Kolasinac at left back if he if he still plays for Arsenal. It's unconfirmed. I mean, I, I don't care how he lines up. I just, I want them all saved. I mean, at the end of the day, the manager has to understand this too. If we get tonked by Atleti, if we get humiliated, I think there is a lot of you know what escrow accounts. You know, like when you close on a house or something, they put stuff in escrow. Yeah, I think yeah. a lot of frustration is in escrow right now. If you follow me, and it's kind of like, yeah. yeah, five away defeats this this calendar year sucks, and yeah, losing to Newcastle sucks, and yeah, we're eight million points off fourth and ten million points off first and we might even fall behind Burnley but we might win the Europa League so I'm going to bite my tongue I think if we get humiliated by Atleti all of that anger that's being held in escrow is going to come pouring out and I also think it it, if it isn't decided already I think it certainly means Arsene Wenger loses his job so he has got to prioritize that Atleti fixture and and if that means even a humiliation at home to West Ham as unpalatable as it might be it is nothing compared to what it will be if we crash out of the Europa League um, you know, in the first leg of the semifinal. So I, I think he absolutely has to prioritize it. I just want to ask you a quick question about Lacazette. I had sort of thought he can play some football, and he's technically gifted, and so we can play Aubameyang at center forward, and we can play Lacazette just off him. I'm starting to think I'm wrong about that, that yes, he can play some football, and yes, he is technically gifted, but he is actually a striker, and he needs to play striker. And Aubameyang, I, mean, I thought he was dreadful yesterday for most of the game on the wing and I don't mean I am saying that about a player I absolutely adore with every fiber of my being and I am so thrilled he is at Arsenal I thought he was criminally misused are you leaning towards the idea that if possible maybe we just need to cut bait with Lacazette not not saying he's a bad player but saying that those resources could be better allocated to a true wide forward I mean Martial obviously is a fantasy that's not happening but someone like that 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 if you if you say we have to get a goalkeeper, we have to get a center back or two, we have to get a central midfielder, there's not going to be enough resources to go get an attacking player. Would you sell Lacazette to fund buying a wide player that could play with Aubameyang better? I don't want to give up on Lacazette. Um, but my tweet that I sent out earlier was really saying to people to challenge their thinking, to say, look, we need a more flexible winger forward. Right, that it's a real winger forward, and we have to make a choice between Lacazette and Aubameyang. And I just feel Aubameyang is better. Right, we've made the investment, and he's not going anywhere for two, three years. Right, so he is sometimes. Better, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, unless he's going to go to China, right? So sometimes, this is but the whole Griezmann thing. We know that Lacazette was going to go to Atletico up until they got their transfer ban, so we know they like him. If they lose Griezmann, they may come back for him. If the opportunity was presented to Arsenal where they would not lose any money for him, what would they do? And it's a question, right? It's not because the player's bad. I mean, Brendan Rodgers wasn't a bad manager, right? But when Klopp became available, a decision was made. 
right? And they upgraded to something that suited them. <laughs> they upgraded to something that suited them better, right? And they and they did it. And I think you know sometimes the situation presents itself when a player becomes available, where you financially it works. I'm surmising here. I'm not saying selling, but if that situation came about and it allowed us to maximize other players in a better way i wonder what we would do driving at defenses with pace is is how you win right now I mean, it really is putting them on their on their back foot you know having them run in the wrong direction i just think obamian gives us that pace we've lacked if we had one more true wide player who had that kind of pace and dynamism if you had someone like a martial you know if you have mikatarian and martial flanking Aubameyang with Ozil pulling the strings. Now you've got something. You know, maybe even a Riyad Mahrez, although I, I don't think I'd take a risk on him um, at this stage in his career with, with the, the kind of money that he would cost. But that, that's just me. I mean, whoever it is, may, I, I don't think Lamar is that player personally. But, no. you know, you, you get someone with real pace, you know, lightning quick, someone who can, you know, Christian Pulisic maybe? Hey? Yeah, USA, just USA. I mean, just someone <laughs> to scare people and, and really – you know, get a little chalk on their boots, as they say, that can get out into those wide positions, overlap with Hector Bellerin, or overlap with Nacho Monreal, or dare I say it, Kolasinac, and and create some space, open up the space for Aubameyang to run into. The only way I think Aubameyang and Lacazette can play together now is two up front, with Lacazette playing just in behind him. You know, like a 4 4 one one you know, however yep. you want to set it up, a, a four three one. But he two. won't do it. He won't, he won't do that's do the it. he won't so do it. He and, won't and the do real it. scary thing is, I do think, and maybe I'm crazy, but I do think that Arsene Wenger believes Aubameyang can be a wide forward, that he can be a winger because he's fast, because he can run fast. Yep. And I, I, I am terrified that we have bought one of the truly great penalty box strikers in Europe. And, and took him out of the box. And we're going to take him out. Now, look, we can't say that definitively yet because this season's a little weird and he may have other motives for playing Lacazette there, but. We cannot, and maybe Arsene Wenger won't be making these decisions next season, knock on wood, but I don't think we can afford to risk that. And I just think if you have these two players and you don't have a true, pacey, powerful, dynamic wide forward, you might just want to sell Lacazette and and bring in that pace on the wing. Because I think if you had a really quick-as-hell winger to go with Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan, you could scare the shit out of some defenses. Yeah, and I would like two wingers, right? But at least now we're starting to think. Well, about we've got some dead money in some team. of these players, right? I mean, we we, we don't have yeah. a choice. I mean, maybe Reese Nelson becomes exactly. the guy next season. The, the other guy you got to wonder about there is then Iwobi. I mean, see, th- this is why the whole squad construction doesn't make sense to me because it's it's Lacazette and Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan and Ozil and. And you need another wide forward, and that's clear. But then, is Reese Nelson going to come in? Is a, is a Wobie still a part of the team? I just, I think the manager has let this get out out of his control. I just think the the construction, from an age standpoint, from a, a characteristic standpoint, and we're starting to cover old ground. We don't have to go over again, but it doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense. And as I try to unwind it in my mind and say, what are the moves we could make this summer to make this squad make cohesive sense? I I struggle to even get there. So I don't envy what Sven and Raul have to do this summer. Yeah, we've got so many unknowns. We, we're surmising about, you know, wingers and dribbling players and because maybe we have a bias for those type of teams and those type of players, right? So I love seeing that. I love seeing threat. I love seeing players that put bums on red seats. I don't like seeing red seats on my TV screen, right? I don't like that. But that's embarrassing. And we need to think about the excitement factor. If we're passing around in academy football shapes, it's not going to excite people, you know? Again, Rob Holding was our top passer at the weekend. I don't want, I don't want to see that. 
right? So I want to see more offensive players having more touches, right? So, um, so yeah, we need to fix that. But there's so many things we need to fix. And what? Let's flip it to the positives. I think the younger players are the positives. You know, we got some decisions to make by playing them. We find out what they've really got. We find out, is Awobi going to develop into a top player or is he going to be Jordan Ibe and he's going to end up at Bournemouth? We need to find that out. And the only way you're going to find that out is by playing him and understanding his ceiling. Right? So if the manager's doing that, then fine. We'll, we'll soon know. But let's help him by defining him. And so, yeah, I think we just got to wait, Elliot. we just got to wait to see what the strategy's going to be, see what the manager's going to be, see if the manager's going to stay or go, see what happens to the Europa League. There's so many unknowns, we can only surmise and give people some yeah. thinking material. Yeah, there's a lot there. I mean, this is the problem with, with just having a conversation like this on a podcast where it all starts to just come into your mind is you can very quickly go down the rabbit hole uh, you know, of thought experiments and, and transfer machines and hi- hi- hypothetical squads and, and ways you'd set up the system because the team's a mess. I mean, that that's the one thing. Like, I, I don't even really feel like there's a very clear picture of, of what kind of team we have right now. Now, look, we are in a European semifinal. Yeah. I think it is easy to forget after a loss like that to Newcastle that it was a heavily changed side, and the team that's going to be out there against Atletico is going to feature players like Aaron Ramsey and Mesut Ozil, you know, and, and maybe even Mkhitaryan, fingers crossed, and, and that makes a big, big difference. Ultimately, whether we can win the Europa League is not going to come down to that part of the pitch. That's the part of the pitch that's fun to talk about, but it's going to come down to defensive frailty. And, you know, that's yep. that's where, you know, hopefully we can just find a way to be stable. And that that is why ultimately I would go to a back three because we, we can't afford to fall behind. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the statistics floating around, but it's something like the last 10 games at the Wanda, they've lost none, conceded none, and scored 28. Um, oh, okay. Atletico. So that'd, that'd be challenging then. Well, considering our travels have been great, you know, I'm, it's it's a real David uh, Goliath versus Goliath matchup there. Um, Don't worry, we just roll Callum Chambers out right and see how we get on. Yeah, um, yeah, hell, play him a striker. <laughs> um, okay, well, look, we have West Ham coming up in a week. It is a, a well needed rest break for this podcast and for the players. So hopefully, uh, another heavily rotated side next week. As far as you know the what's going on right now with the club. I mean, do you think that the the manager's future is tied to the Europa League at this point? I would like to hope, or maybe I think it, no, I, I think it's time, right? So, and I think everyone knows it's time. And maybe some of the things that he's doing are all about positioning the club for next year. I mean, even, you know, credit to him for playing the youngsters. Right? I would have done it slightly differently, but what do I know, right? So, um, so yeah, I think he's preparing us for next year. Is he preparing us for next year for him? Or is he preparing a group of young players who are very good, actually? This group is good. This isn't the the loopalies, right? This group will go somewhere. I do firmly believe that Nelson will become a very good player. I firmly believe that um, that Enketia will develop into a decent forward. What about that De Silva really character? That yeah, and I think he's a coming player, right? He's a, he's an interesting player, a left-footed defensive centre midfielder that's really learning how to carry the ball. And Ainsley Maitland-Niles, I mean, he's no surprise anymore. We forget about him, a couple of weeks off injured. But that's a player that's already shown in the heat of the battle against Liverpool that he can cope, right? So that's a, that's a plus, that's a huge plus, right? So 
let's see what they're going to be after the summer tours, etc., and where they'll be next year. And, and players arrive, they arrive on a steam train when they when they arrive. And we look at Trent Alexander-Arnold, got killed by Rashford against Manchester United. Everyone's wondering about him. Two games versus Sane in the, in the Champions League, and he's on the way to the World Cup, potentially. It can happen that fast. If you get the if you work hard and you get the right breaks and you and you perform at the right times, yeah. right? So um, so don't give up hope. Well, uh, I would be as much as I agree with everything Clive usually says. I would say give up hope, <laughs> give up all hope because it is the hope that kills. And if you have no hope, then nothing can hurt you, and you are safe in your cocoon of misery, uh, which is where we will leave you in a cocoon of misery with five consecutive away defeats in the Premier League. Enjoy that. Um, uh, Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much, my man. Yeah, thank you. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We should have the whole crew back for the next pod. But, um, you know, I think if Arsenal can turn in a sort of half-assed, heavily rotated lackadaisical effort at Newcastle, there's no reason why we can't put out a podcast like that every once in a while, although I thoroughly enjoyed it, and that's really what matters. Uh, give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about Scott and Paul and Tim uh, in the in the comment section. And since the next game is at home, I can confidently end this podcast by saying we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, West Ham nil. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.